Hello, and welcome to Raising Health, where we explore the real challenges and enormous opportunities facing entrepreneurs who are building the future of health. I'm Olivia. And I'm Chris. Today's episode is with the co-founders of Tome Biosciences, Rahul Kakar, who serves as the CEO of Tome, and John Finn, the CSO. They are joined by Jorge Conde, general partner of A16Z Bio and Health. Rahul, John, and Jorge talk about the technology behind Tome, known as PASTE, a genome editing technique. You know, it's a combination of two older technologies. What they did is they used a Cas9 nickase with an RT enzyme that can write small pieces. They use that actually to programmably write a landing site, a beacon uh, for a highly specific integrase protein. And then they came in with the integrase protein with a template DNA, and then the integrase does exactly what nature's evolved it to do, which is to put that, that code at that site. They also dive deep into how this technology could be applied to help patients, making cell therapy more accessible for more people. Because of the technical capabilities that John just articulated, the ability to put multiple pieces of code exactly where you want them to go simultaneously, we can bring design, make, test cycle times that are tra traditionally only thought of in the biologic world to cell therapy. We've never thought about being able to iterate cell therapy design at speed and at scale, and we can do that now. And so that makes cell therapy look much less like a niche product and much more like a bona fide discovery platform. You're listening to Raising Health from A16Z Bio and Health. So today I'm thrilled to be joined on the A16Z Raising Health podcast by Rahul Kakar, who is the CEO of Tome Biosciences, and John Finn, who is the Chief Scientific Officer of Tome Biosciences. Uh, Tome Biosciences is a, a portfolio company in the A16Z Bio and Health portfolio. We're thrilled to be a small part of the Tome story. I thought one place where we could start is get your views, your comments on where we are on this journey of, of genomic medicine. Uh, so where we stand today in early 2024, we've just come across a couple key milestones in sort of the, the, the landscape of, of genomic medicine. Maybe John, I'd ask you to start first, given that you've spent a lot of time in this space, just would love to get your, your sort of take on the state of the state. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the thing, things, uh, things just to, to actually let, let all the, the listeners know you know, up front, um, you know, one of the thing, things about me that, you, that you'll be able to tell is that I do have a stutter. And I just want to let everyone know what that means is that this can take me a bit longer to say what I want to say at times, but everything is fine. This is just the way that I talk. Maybe one day we'll be using CRISPR in the brain for that. Uh, you know, not the first indication, but um, anyway, everything is fine. So when I think about the state of the field right now, it has come a long way in a very short time. So it was only about a decade ago that the first publications came out really on CRISPR you know, that really showed, showed the ability to site-specifically target a a gene or a sequence of code, you know, that really opened up the floodgates for everything you know, that we see now. And I see see that the CRISPR field's really gone through a couple of different you know, revolutions, right? 
The first one was the ability to cut a piece of DNA wherever you wanted. You know, this had a huge impact both on life sciences, research, understanding how life works, as well as the first wave of medicines. All of, you know, these advances were all based on the ability to site-specifically break DNA. Then came the the next wave of tools. You've got the, uh, the base editors, the prime editors, right? These are fantastic tools that now no longer break DNA. If most of the patients have the same mutation, this is the right tool tool because because if you make that small change, if you fix that single mutation, you know that will have a huge impact on that entire population. And what we're doing he, here here at home, you know, I see it as the last tool we've needed in the editing toolbox. Now we can put any sequence of code of any size in any location. Yeah, and I think if we, when we take a look back, I think it is remarkable that when we think about the fact that, you know, this is a, a milestone of barely a decade in the making, given that the first CRISPR papers came out just over a decade ago. Rahul, first of all, you're a practicing physician. And second of all, you, you're a, a repeat biotech entrepreneur and executive. Of all the things you could pick to work on, uh, why pick genomic medicine? Yeah, it's a, a great a great question, Jorge. I did not leave my prior company with the intent to move into cell and gene therapy or genomic medicines. Um, my clinical practice, as you mentioned, is is cardiology. My first company was a cardiovascular-focused company. Um, second company, Pandion, was um, autoimmune disease. I've always focused on diseases that have broad societal burden and therefore where drug development can have broad societal impact. And to John's point, drug development using either the first generation of, of CRISPR-Cas9 enzymes where we're breaking genes or the next generation, which is really making small repairs, generally lends itself to rare disease. And it wasn't really a place, as much as I don't want to take away from the gravity of those diseases and the impact, particularly on children and their families, it's just not where I've had my focus. But becoming familiar with the PASTE technology as invented by our founders struck me as something wholly different. The augmentation of the CRISPR-Cas9 enzymes with other enzymes so that it can now not break genes or make small repairs but wholesale reprogram DNA, allowing us to really regard DNA for what it is, which is software, and giving us the tool to uh, reprogram a cell, which is either, either has a bug that nature unfortunately granted it, or imparting new therapeutic capabilities to a cell in a dish, struck me as not just a, a step forward, um, but a quantum leap forward in creating a whole new set of mature asset classes of drug development. And that, that potential societal impact, which is broad by definition, is really what attracted me to this technology and to this company. So I remember reading the PASTE publication and even as a layperson thinking that this seemed like a, like a pretty big step forward, like a, like a pretty unique innovation in and of itself. So I guess the first thing that would be helpful is if you could walk through you know, what is PASTE? You know, what was described in that publication? You know, one of the the 
remarkable things about my story with Tome is that is that I was not looking for a job. I was very happy where I was. I was working on, you know, next generation delivery platforms. And so I took I took the call with the founders, Omar and Jonathan, as a favor. And I thought they were doing something else altogether. And when 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 they said no, actually Tome is doing programmable genomic integration, I said, well, that's been the holy grail of the field since I started in it. You know, let me see more. And so I read the manuscript probably about two and a half years ago now, you know, honestly. And as I read the manuscript, I had three different emotions going on. So the first one was I was super excited because these guys solved the problem. They saw, And the specific problem they solved was how do you put a large piece of DNA in a very specific location? My second emotion uh, was I was actually jealous because it's such a good idea. And next I'll actually talk about exactly what the idea was. And then the third one, uh, I was getting sadder and sadder uh, because I love my old company. I love my own my old team. But I, I knew if I had the opportunity to be a part of something, something like this, um, I could not say no because this has been what I've been trying to do my, my whole career. So what is it? Essentially, you know, it's a combination of two older technologies. What they did is they used a Cas9 Nicase with an RT enzyme that can write small, small pieces. They use that actually to programmably write a landing site, a beacon uh, for a highly specific integrase protein. And then they came in with the integrase protein with a template DNA, and then the integrase does exactly what nature has evolved it to do, which is to put that, that code at that site. And so now for the first time, the field could efficiently put large pieces of code in very specific locations without depending on breaking DNA, without depending on cell cycle. This works in cycling cells, it also works in non-dividing cells, which is very important because most of the cells in the body are non-dividing cells. And so when I read this paper, it blew me away. And, and when I had the opportunity, I could not say no. So Rahul, I want to hear your your sort of your story here because presumably you came across the the technology or the founders maybe in in that order or in the reverse order, and you know you had just come off of of selling your previous company, and so there is an alternative here, which is to sit on the beach for a little while, and and you didn't choose that. So I'd just love to hear sort of what what got you uh, interested and engaged on on this technology, and on this on these founders. Reading the the manuscript, I think I had a a somewhat parallel epiphany, although for very different reasons as John, which is here's the chance to build a company that can define an era in medicine. And that kind of opportunity rarely comes along. It comes along once every few decades, if not once in a generation. And what I mean by that is we can think about the history of our industry of, of, of biopharma in certain eras. The first era was, was really our ability to create synthetic compounds, right? We don't have to hunt and forage for medicines anymore. Then fast forward to the rise of Genentech and the cloning of insulin and into the first you know, fully human antibody therapy, which was Humira, which even today is one of the, one of the largest commercial successes in our industry. And then there were three, which is really the rise of nucleotide therapeutics with companies like Moderna and Alnylam. 
but we have not seen the company that will define genomic medicines as of yet. For, for all of the incredible scientific breakthroughs that Chapetelier and, and Doudna, Fang Zhang and David Liu have brought to the table, uh, companies including John's alma mater, which are developing very important drugs, the ability to broadly mature an entire um, technology such that it impacts therapies for a myriad of therapeutic areas, I don't think we've seen the technology within the genomic space that can do that. And reading the paper and then interacting with Jonathan and Omar, I realized that what we might be looking at is the technology and the company that actually does that. So I think the founders have been key to this, Jonathan and Omar, not just being brilliant, of course, but they really are invested in the company with their time, uh, with, their, um, with their energy. They're really seeing this as, as their way of leaving a mark on the world. I just want to dig in on, on a point that, that both of you made, which is this ability to do programmable genomic integration is a massive step forward, a quantum leap, I think Rahul has referred to it as. Why is that such, a, such an important enablement? What does, what does that allow us to do that other approaches to, to, to genomic medicine just haven't been able uh, uh, to achieve? So to, to me, when you can move from small edits to wholesale inserting DNA without any size restriction, and certainly without creating double-strand breaks or making, you know, in layman's term, making mincemeat of the DNA. So to, to, to insert very large pieces of genomic code in a relatively safe manner, it really allows you to utilize all the various elements that nature has encoded into our DNA, coding regions, regulatory regions. We can fully choose what gene goes where, which therefore dictates how much of the genetic, genetic product is made, um, under what regulation, in what cell, at what time. It gives us complete flexibility and for lack of a better word, it allows us to hack the genome. Yeah, if I could just add, I mean, one of one of the the applications that I'm most excited about is, you know, if a patient has a broken gene, well, now we can put a functional copy of the gene in the right location. And what's funny is that when I told my wife this, she's like, "Well, what have you been doing for the past twenty years?" And it's like. <laughs> like, that's what everyone thought gene therapy was. But we had to use episomes, we had to use random integration, etc. But now with this ability, not only can we put the gene in the right location so that it stays under, under its own endogenous expression, not too much, not too little, not the wrong cell type, etc. But we, we can now have one product for all the patients because we don't have to go in and fix each individual mutation and for most most of the the applications that we're going after there are tens hundreds if not thousands of separate mutations and so with this approach we can cover most if not all of the patients with a single uh, drug you know that to me is a total game changer i wanted to highlight something john just said which is because of the technical capabilities that john just articulated the ability to put multiple pieces of code exactly where you want them to go simultaneously, we can bring design, make, test cycle times that are tra traditionally only thought of in the biologic world to cell therapy. We've never thought about being able to iterate cell therapy design at speed and at scale, and we can do that now. And so that makes cell therapy look much less like a niche product 
and much more like a bona fide discovery platform. And so to me, one of the things that, that Tome would leave behind as a legacy, other than finally bringing gene therapy into its mature form, is bringing cell therapy into its, you know, to fulfill cell therapy's potential as a therapeutic platform in its own right. I think what you just described uh, in terms of what you can do for genetic medicine in, in the body is extraordinarily profound because I just heard you say there's, there's two fundamental things that this technology enables that become incredibly important. The first one is to be able to fix a broken gene regardless of what mutation broke that gene. So now we traditionally have thought of a lot of these genetic medicines as you need a, you know, an edit to fix a specific mutation. And here what you're saying is you can insert the corrected copy so you go from one medicine per mutation to one medicine per gene. And I think that's a very, very profound shift. But the second one I just heard you say, which I think a lot of people probably uh, under uh, appreciate, is the fact that every gene in our body is very carefully regulated by the cells that they inhabit. And so different cells turn on and off or turn up and down different sets of genes. And so if you can programmatically insert the corrected gene at exactly the right spot, that means not only have you corrected the problem, but you've also uh, ensured that it is used correctly within that cell type because it's being regulated by that cell type as nature intended. We can harness any promoter, you know, in the body. And so now actually we can start, start actually to, to have logic gates and gates. If this gets expressed, then this does too. And, the, you know, that really might open up a whole another range of um, future applications. And so we're not limited to where this goes. What is kind of remarkable is at, at, the, at a very fundamental level, this technology it's a programming technology. It's a programming language effectively is what you're, you're working on. So in the case of a genetic disease, you can essentially uh, provide patch software to replace a broken gene with a corrected version. But what's really neat, as you're describing it, in the case of cell therapy, what you have is the ability to fundamentally reprogram cells and reprogram cells to behave in ways that perhaps weren't previously possible and can do things that are with sophistication that weren't previously achievable in, in, the, in the course of cell therapy. And so as you're describing it, we get to a point where we have a discovery platform where we get to the, you know, to the design, build, test, time scale, so we can you know, rapidly advance technology. Uh, presumably that brings down cost, increases access. That's obviously yet to be seen, but that's, that's a potential promise. So if you can do all of this, both on the genetic disease front in terms of replacing broken genes and on the cell therapy front in terms of reprogramming cells to do new things. You can do anything, uh, but you can't do everything. What is Tome gonna do? So when, when John and I first met, even before we decided to join the company, even from our very first cup of coffee together, it was very clear that were certain philosophical alignments that by the end of that conversation, I can't remember how long it lasted, maybe an hour, maybe two hours, we both realized that we had to work together. Because to your point, Jorge, this technology can be the basis, will be the basis of a company that will last decades and have a very large pipeline in the future. But one of the arts of biotech startup is where do you start when your cost of capital is very, very high and you need to prove your technology as quickly as possible because every minute is high burn. And so 
bringing those concepts together, we, we actually created a set of what, what I call first principles on how we're going to select where we go. First, let's not take any more technical risks than we have to, right? The tech, PGI, and specifically the instance of integrase mediated PGI or IPGI is complicated enough. It's one of the most complicated drug products, products our industry has ever envisioned. So let's make sure we're not also taking, for instance, delivery risk. Let's make sure we're not taking inordinate clinical development risk or regulatory risk. The other place, and this is again from my experience at my prior two companies is, let's make sure we go into clinical indications to the point I just made where the clinical risk is minimized. And that means that there's some degree of target validation. In the gene therapy world, that's relatively straightforward. All you're doing is choosing for diseases where there's a good genotype-phenotype correlation. But in the cell therapy world, that's much harder. When I spoke with the founders, when I you know read, read the manuscript, I was already working on new delivery systems, You know how to get into new thing, muscle, CNS, et cetera. What I realized that we already have clinically validated delivery systems available today that we can use with this technology. And so that's where we, we want to focus. So the initial focus is going to be on genetic diseases of the liver? Yes. And on autoimmune diseases? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, so as we think about not taking excessive technical risk on the integrative gene therapy side, it's really talking about focusing on areas where delivery of our components, which require both lipid nanoparticle and viral vectors, um, are, are already de-risked, which is the hepatocyte specifically, because even within the liver, obviously, there's numerous cell types. Um, and going after diseases where they're, they're driven by genetic mutations in, or mutations in genes that are expressed by the hepatocyte. Uh, those diseases are driven primarily by those mutations in the hepatocyte itself. On the cell therapy side, I think we take a step back and say, where, where do cell therapies fit in the pantheon of the various modalities that we have, as we've talked about already? Again, taking the lessons of oncology are really the definitive area where cell, uh, cell therapies are proving themselves to be superior to any other modality. They can really wipe out a cell with high specificity and high efficacy. Um, and so that's really where we're focusing cell therapy is an, an ablative approach where there really isn't good other option. And we're starting with autoimmune disease to the point I made before. My first industry job was at AstraZeneca, um, had acquired human genome sciences, then Lista, then Anafrolimab. Right. The state of the art was disease control in 10% more patients than placebo. And that was... Right, that's like billion dollar plus revenue in the autoimmune space. And fast forward 10 years, we're talking about curing these diseases. This is the kind of power that cell therapy can bring to the table, curing diseases that we thought were barely controllable in the past. As you all know better than I do, it takes a long time uh, to go from paper to patients. So two questions for you. Number one, you recently announced that you have acquired a company, a company called Replace Therapeutics. So. I think it'd be helpful to understand what Replace brings to the table is complementary with the PACE approach. And number two, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to understand where you, where Tome is on the journey from, from paper to patients. Now, one of the thing, things I think that was um, surprising to me is that when I first started started at Tome, moving from from the manuscript into medicine was a lot harder than I had first thought. 
Um, we were able to replicate the founder's work, no problem. We could get good efficiencies in cancer cells. We could get 70% efficiency integration, fantastic. When we started moving into primary human cells, non-dividing human cells, the actual cells we need to actually, actually work with, with reagents that look like medicine, our efficiencies dropped to below 1%. Um, and it took us a long time to understand what knobs we had to turn to actually to achieve the clinically relevant efficiencies actually that we have now. And that, that was a lot of different things on the guide RNA, the format, the architecture, the chemical modifications, the sequences that we're targeting with the enzymes, the architecture, the, the, the actual um, versions of the enzymes, etc. So we had to do a lot of innovation there. And along the way, we, we've actually undercovered some interest in biology that I think other people you know, are now publishing on. But... One of the reasons why we were very excited about uh, about the acquisition of of Replace is that it brings on an entirely new method of making small edits, including actually um, writing beacons. We're no longer using enzymes to write the sequence. We're actually providing the physical sequence we want written, and now we use a ligase actually to ligate that into the right place. And so it's, it's a completely different mechanism. To add to what John said, I think about CRISPR-Cas9 like a microprocessor. It is a core piece of technology that enables various different products, right? And if the in initial or original embodiment of cutting genes is akin to a desktop computer, I see the modification or the augmentation of CRISPR-Cas9 with or without reverse transcriptases for base or prime editing being a laptop. What PGI is, it still uses a microprocessor, but it's been so augmented and enhanced with other enzymes that it's now an iPhone. And it fundamentally enables a whole new product class, asset class, therapeutic class in this case, um, and a whole new way of approaching disease, a whole new application. To me, Replace then is the Apple Watch. It has standalone functionality, but it is also complementary to what we're already doing. And so at Tome, we, we really think about innovation in two different ways. There's internal innovation and there's external innovation. We're not gonna spend, again, your dollars, Jorge, <laughs> and those of your other <laughs> investors, Inventing things that are being well invented in the academia or in delivery companies, uh, that's where we partner or acquire, depending on the, the nuances of, of the relationship. But there are areas where we are coming across technical challenges that really nobody else is working on. Integrase is a good example. There are very few places in this world, academia or otherwise, that are really focusing on integrases. And the amount of progress we've made on increasing both the accuracy and the efficiency of integrases, not only have we created IP and some of those powerful integrases in the world, I would actually argue that we are probably the most advanced integrase scientific group in the world right now. Uh, same thing for some of the delivery technologies. We're not gonna go invent new lipids, but where there are viral vectors that allow us to put 30,000 base pairs into a cell, a problem that nobody else really needs to even think about, that's where we put our innovation dollars. 
So our, our innovation is really this combination of partnering and acquiring, but also inventing internally where we need to unlock certain technical barriers to exploit the full potential of PGI. So John, when I met you, you had this glorious beard. Today <laughs> I see you, you have this glorious beard, but we've run into each other a couple of times and you had no beard. Do you have an explanation for that? Yeah, thanks. So <laughs> it's funny, you know, in the past, past, I, past, you know, I had a seasonal beard and people could tell what season it was based on my facial uh, hair. And then at Tome, early days of Tome, someone, someone actually made a bet and said, if we hit the certain milestone, what will you do? And I said, I will shave my beard if we hit this milestone. And, you know, I don't set easy milestones because I like my beard and my wife likes my beard and my kids hate it when I <laughs> shave. And I'm actually happy to say over the course of Tome, you know, over the past two-ish years, I've, I've now shaved my beard three times. I, I did propose a leadership team at one point that when we cure our first child using PGI that we all shave our heads, but it didn't go over very well. <laughs> I would gladly do that. <laughs> so we all aspire to have a clean-shaven John Finn for all of the all of the reasons he just articulated. Well, thank you both for for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Raising Health. Raising Health is hosted and produced by me, Chris Tatiosian, and me, Olivia Webb with the help of the bio and health team at A16Z. The show is edited by Phil Hegseth. If you want to suggest topics for future shows, you can reach us at raisinghealth at a16z.com. Finally, please rate and subscribe to our show. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. Please note that A16Z and its affiliates may maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments, please see a16z.com slash disclosures.